Happy Mother's Day. Thanks so much for being with us today. I've got my pink shirt on in honor of mothers. That was an awesome video. It's really great. But I'm wondering if there's some moms who just saw that video and you didn't see your kids and you're looking over at your husband saying, you didn't turn in a video for my kids? Well, <clears throat> Pastor Matt asked me to say we have hundreds of moms at Grace and we couldn't possibly fit all of the video clips in. So he said, if you're mad, this is what he said for me to tell you. If you're mad, please, matt.comar at trygrace.org. Email Pastor Matt, let him know about it, okay? But it's not your husband's fault. I do want to try to take a little of that sting maybe out of it by saying we want to give you a gift. We want to give you this great gift book, the book that Janice just read, right? We want to give you this book. We have purchased 200 of these eBooks. And if you go to the bit.ly link there on your screen, bit.ly slash I choose you, the first 200 people we want to give this book to. And we've also done something else. Our libraries are closed right now. Our schools are closed down and reading is so very important. We have made a contribution to a very popular local nonprofit. They got a purple bus. It's basically a rolling library and they give books out to kids and we have supported them and on their website, readearlyanddaily.org this week, they will be reading this book in honor of Grace Community Church. So please check it out. They're a great organization. Well, we're in a series called Your Slightly Improved Life and I got some good news for you. Actually, I've been saying a little bit of the same thing every single week of this series. The good news is, is we don't have to make massive adjustments to our life. We only have to make slight adjustments and they lead to the impressive improvements. And I've been telling you different reasons why, but today here's what I want to tell you. Grass, grass. When we first bought a home, I didn't really care a whole lot about the grass, but over the years, more and more, I care about the lawn. I want to make it look good and I seem not to be able to quite do it. So I watched a YouTube video recently, as I have often done. And this past week, a guy who's an expert at taking old, ugly lawns and turning them into lush, beautiful lawns had five tips, five easy tips that every single person can do. Do you know what his first tip was? He said, you need to cut your grass tip number one every single week, every week. And here's the reason why. Maybe you've done this before, because I've done it. You know, Grass gets a little bit long. I say, you know what? Might be a while before I can cut it again. I'll lower that lawnmower way down and I'll just cut it like almost till I'm hitting the dirt. This guy says, don't ever do that. All you want to do is take the very top of the grass off. Just a little bit, just a little bit. Because if you take more than that little bit off the top, you're going to wound your grass. The way to a beautiful lush lawn is take just a little bit, just a slight amount off of the top. That's great news. We don't have to make massive adjustments to our life. We just have to make slight adjustments. And that's going to lead us to the full, free, awesome life. You know, John in the Gospel, John, he always uses this word. He keeps using this word, zoe. It's a Greek word, Z-O-E. It means a fullness, a vitality. It's the life you want to live. It's the life I want to live. Slight adjustment, impressive improvement. That's what we really need. Well, as I said, it is Mother's Day. And I'll tell you what. I got a great mom. During Chris and I, our first week of marriage, I instinctively did something. Like at the moment, I didn't know where this thing came from, but we had to go somewhere in the morning. Crystal was still asleep. I had woken up and I needed to wake her up. And I wanted to make, wake her up in a fun way. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I started rolling back and forth over top of her saying, steamroller, steamroller. Like, where did that come from? You know where it came from? 
when I was a kid and I didn't want to wake up and I was so tired and my mom would come in the door, Johnny, it's time to get up. And I was like, oh, mom, I just want to sleep. My mom was so awesome and she always was so much fun. She would get on the bed with me and she would just start rolling herself back and forth, back and forth over top of me saying, steamroller, steamroller, until I started laughing and I'd get up and I'd go on to school. Well, I had an awesome mom and I'm very, very thankful and privileged to have an awesome mom like that. Well, today we want to talk about identity because the gospel of John is about identity. And that is something that this little fellow in this book was going through, Norbert. Norbert was having a bad day. He felt he wasn't fast enough, smart enough, good enough, all these things. And Norbert's mom says to Norbert, says, Norbert, I need you to know this. Basically, I'm summing up the book. Your identity is not wrapped up in how good you are or fast you are or brave you are or smart you are. Your identity is wrapped up in how much I love you because I would choose you no matter what, all day, any day of the week. And that message reminds me of a quote from Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr, he says it this way. He says, God doesn't love you because you're good, right? God doesn't love you because you're good. God loves you because God is good. God doesn't love you because you're good. God loves you because God is good. That is awesome. Our identity is wrapped up in the goodness and the love of God, regardless of what we do. That's unconditional love, and we can never get enough of that. Well, we come to chapters seven and eight of this Gospel of John. We've been trekking our way through, and seven and eight are really important chapters. And the reason why is they are a microcosm of all the major themes of John. And so these chapters are tremendously important in our journey to finding the true identity of Christ as we've been saying, once we find the true identity of Christ, we have found our own true identity because we have been called to reflect Jesus Christ. Our identities are wrapped up in Christ's identity. We are image bearers of him. And it begins in chapter 7 with this thing called the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, this was the most popular, the most fun of all of the festivals. People would journey to Jerusalem once a year and they would camp. Yes, they would literally camp. These portable structures, it reminded them when they were in the desert and they were trekking through the wilderness and they had to camp. And you know, when camping always comes stories because there's camping stories. And the story that they would always tell is when God set them free. So that's a great story. They were set free from the oppression of Pharaoh. God sets them free and they go out into the wilderness and they're there camping and they're telling this story. But something else they did every single day. They had a special water ceremony. Now, here's why this is so relevant to us right now. This water ceremony. Every single day, the festival lasted eight days. Every single day in the morning, there'd be a water ceremony. And they would celebrate the fact that God provided water in a desert. Now, you've heard the saying before, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, water doesn't flow in the desert. The desert is a place of scarcity. It's a place of lack. It's a place of desperation. But God provided where there seems to be no way, God provided a way. Right now, we're in a desert, a COVID desert. There is scarcity. There is lack. There is fear. And the message for you and the message for me today is God will provide. Put your trust in God. Now, that's how the way the whole thing begins. Now, let's pick it up, the story in verse number three of John chapter seven. It says, Jesus's brothers said to him, leave Galilee Go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. 
since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even, here it comes, verse number five, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Verse six, therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Wow, what's going on there? What's the deal with world? The word world in the Gospel of John simply means a value system that's clashing with God's value system, right? So God is loving, he's patient, he's kind, and the world has a value system that's a little bit different. So you see the brothers say, hey, go and make a spectacle out of yourself. Go and lift yourself up. Well, in God's world, things don't work that way. Jesus has come to serve. Jesus hasn't come to lift himself up and show everybody kind of in an arrogant way, look at me. That's not who he is. So you have a collision. But what I really want to draw your attention to is the fact here at verse number five says, for his, even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now we've been saying this all along. The Gospel of John is about the identity of Jesus Christ. John wants to make it really clear who Jesus is because he wants us to show Jesus like we've, show us Jesus like we have never seen Jesus before so we can live life like we've never imagined we could possibly live before. So why are we told here at the start of chapter seven that even his own brothers don't believe in him? Because in this culture and in this world, now it's true a little bit, some, but not as strongly in our culture. In their culture then, from their perspective, your family was the most powerful force at shaping your identity. You saw yourself through their eyes. They shaped you. And to say that his own brothers don't believe in him, where is he going to get his identity from? His whole family, where will somebody get their identity from if they can't get it from their family. That is why it's so clear in the scriptures that is we have this like special moment where God the Father speaks and says this about Jesus, is my beloved son and whom I love and I am well pleased because his identity comes from above. Your identity has to come from above. So we have this theme here that in order for us to take a journey to understanding who we really are and our true identity. We have to leave. There's a leaving. There's an unlearning that has to take place. Every spiritual journey begins at the exact same place. This is absolutely true. You must unlearn some things. You must unlearn what the powerful forces in this world that have put upon you, whether it's your parents or a coach or a teacher or a neighbor, it's all the, all those things wrapped up in one have put on you certain things, certain voices that shape who you are. And all of that needs to be unlearned and you need to go all the way back to the beginning and you need to start with who you are in Jesus Christ, who you are as an image bearer of almighty God. And that's where true living happens. This is what John's trying to say. These are powerful Jewish metaphors. You think about this, Jesus says this. Now, Jesus says certain things are going to really confuse us until we understand these metaphors and what is really being said here. And Jesus says in Matthew 19, he says, unless you leave your house and your father and your mother and your brother and your sister, you won't experience eternal life. But if you do, you'll experience eternal life 100 fold. That's like super abundance. 
100-fold super abundant life. What in the world is being said by that? Hebrew scripture, Jewish scripture works with metaphors. They're powerful and they're very strategic. This is not saying that I just need to move out of my parents' house and now I can experience eternal life. Get yourself out of your parents' basement and now you can experience the joy of eternal life. No, no, no. It's saying that you have to unlearn everything that you have learned, all those things that you've picked up along the way, and you've got to get back to the base, back to the truest thing about yourself. You have to make that trek all the way back and start with who you are in Jesus Christ. You have to discover your true self. Some people might say, you know what, John? I don't want to discover my true self. The Bible tells me that I was born in sin. The Bible tells me that I fall short. Everything about me has fallen short of God's glory. I don't want to discover my true self. I want to run from my true self. But what we see in the gospel of John is Jesus is revealing our true self, which is far deeper. He's going way down. You know, actually, Pastor Matt, who I mentioned in the beginning of this message, right? Pastor Matt, when he teaches in our youth group, he often tells our youth this. He says, you know what? You got a coin. You got a coin that's been engraved, right? It's been stamped. There's an image on there. But over the years, it gets covered up with lots of stuff. Maybe it gets all kinds of grime on it and dirt and filth and grease and whoever knows what. But underneath, when you clear all that off, what's the engraving that's still on there? Our life is true, true. Yes, we've been born in sin. There's iniquity. There's there's imperfection. There are flaws. I don't want to discover my true self. I want to tell you, you've got to go through all that stuff. You've got to clear all that away. You've got to keep going farther and farther back all the way down to you get to the coin once again, because it has an image on it. And that image is God almighty, because that is the true you. And this is what Jesus Christ is trying to draw out. This is what he's showing. This is what the resurrection means. It's the resurrection of the true you. The disciples looked at Jesus and he's calling them to live a certain way and they're not getting it. He's he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time, we're told, and they're arguing about who's the greatest person in his kingdom. They're not getting it. They're not buying in to the love and the sacrifice and the service and the forgiveness. They're not buying in. They're buying into the world's power system that I got to get power so I can keep other people away from the power. They're not buying in. But when he rises from the dead, they say, oh, wait a minute. That worked. That is, that is the true self. Jesus Christ is resurrecting us. We are on a journey to find the true self. And this is why the Bible is filled over and over again, everybody. You read these stories. Why do they keep having these repeating themes? You say, okay, you see this in Abraham. God says, Abraham, leave, leave your family, leave your house, take your wife and go. Abraham has to leave his family. He has to leave that identity to create anyone. How about Joseph? Joseph was forced to leave his house. And there's so many connections. This is the way Hebrew scripture works. There's so many connections between Joseph and Jesus. You see with both Joseph and Jesus, Joseph rejected by his brothers, Jesus rejected by his brothers. Joseph thrown in a pit, Jesus thrown in the pit of hell. 
Joseph sold for a certain amount of money. Jesus, in an eerily similar way, sold for a very similar amount of money. And then finally, Joseph at the end forgiving his brothers and Jesus saying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. But it all began with leaving and having a new identity. Moses, we're told, spoke with God face to face, but not until he left his home, not until he left and gained a new identity. How about Ruth? She famously says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Those are all identity statements. We must unlearn what the powerful forces of this world have put upon us to understand our true self. Who are you? Who really are you? Your true you is what God says about you and what no one else says about you. That's where you have to, you have to start. We must unlearn what the powerful forces that work in this world have taught us about ourselves in order for us to discover our true selves. Jesus says in Matthew 18, unless you repent and become like a little child, you will not experience the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Well, when you understand the metaphors and you understand the importance of identity, now this can begin to make sense to us. What do you mean become a little child? Jesus is saying, go back. It's like being born again. You got to go back. You got to go way back to the beginning. The Gospel of John, very tight connection to Genesis. It is a recreation book. You got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter one to the very beginning to where you have been created in the very image of God. That's your true identity. That's your true self. And you have to unlearn all the things that you have picked up along the way. Now there's the million dollar question. How do you unlearn all of these things? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter seven. He said, if you want to If you want to find out if everything I'm saying is true, you got to try it out. He says, try it out and you're going to find it out. That's how we're going to find out if it is true. You know, bartenders can actually help us understand this concept. You know what bartenders do? They take a tip jar, they put it on their bar, and then what do they do, everybody? They put seed in it. They drop some seed money in there because they know that behavior is contagious. So they drop some seed money in there. And when the night's over, other people have followed suit because they saw that in there and they have more money than they would have had before, right? We need to begin to drop seed behavior. So Jesus says in John 7, 17, begin to try it out. Begin to act upon the ways he acts. Pray for your enemies. I don't want to pray for my enemies. That's the last thing I want to do. Jesus, try it. See if that doesn't lead to true life. Jesus says, serve instead of looking to be served. Jesus says, forgive, be kind, be patient, love. All these wonderful values that Jesus stands for, honesty and truth, self-control, all of these wonderful values that Jesus Christ stands for. He says, try it out. Drop some seed down into the tip jar and watch it grow. Watch your behavior just begin to accumulate. It's really important that you begin to do that. Try it out and you'll find out that it is totally true. Listen, everybody, sin. Jesus talks about sin. Bible talks about sin. And we just need to clear up why does the Bible talk about sin? And I am so sorry that some people have come along to you wagging a finger or shaking a Bible and in a very arrogant way, turned you off, make you bristle about this word called sin, S-I-N. But sin has a very important purpose in the Bible. It shows me what leaves me empty. It shows me the kind of life that is meaningless. I try it out, I fall, and I say, you know what? That didn't work. 
I want to try something else. You think about a little toddler growing up. They toddle all around. They fall down. How do they learn to walk? They fall down, they get up. They fall down, they get up. When they fall down, they say, well, I don't like that. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to keep falling, particularly as they get older. I remember when I was riding a bike as kids, right? You learn to ride a bike. Sometimes you fall. You don't want to fall. And when you do, you say, I never want to do that again. And when I was in elementary school, I was in South Arlington near Barcroft Elementary where I went to school. And I was riding down the road and I was just goofing off on my bike and I was swerving back and forth really hard. And all of a sudden I swerved too much and I flipped that steering wheel and went right over that steering wheel. I had a terrible crash. You know, the first thing that came to me, I don't ever want to do that again. I remember that to this day. And that was more than five years ago. Believe me, that was a long time ago. I don't ever want to do that again. That's what sin can teach us. That didn't work. That doesn't lead to meaning. That doesn't lead to life. That didn't bring me joy. Why would I ever want to do that again? What are the things that actually lead me to life and to joy? Oh, uh, sad thing is that we have a lot of people in this world that are sick. But when you see young people, when you see kids or you see teenagers that are sick, that's really sad. And I just recently read a report about teenagers who are battling cancer. And they went through all the chemo and uh, a lot of treatments. And this particular center who had hundreds and hundreds of teens, a part of this program being treated for their cancer, after they got done with the chemo and the radiation, different things they had to go on, they had to go on a certain um, course of medication, which was not fun to take for them, right? But they really, really needed to take the medication. And the doctors urged them when they go home to continue to make sure that every day they did the medication. And here's the thing. They didn't do the medication. So the doctors told them emphatically, if you don't take the medication, your chances of getting cancer again and possibly, probably dying are 200%. There's the facts, Jack. 200%. So you better take that medication. And so they told them the facts. They gave them the truth. And you know what the teens did? They didn't take the medication. They just wouldn't take it. They lectured them. They cried. They screamed. They showed them the truth and they refused to take the medication. So out of desperation, a team of doctors at this big center said, let's make a video game. Kids, teens love video games. Let's make a video game and let's have a character in there that goes around inside the body zapping all of these bad cells, right? And let's have them play the game. There'll be 20 levels in the game. And when they're done with all the 20 levels and they play this game, they will see that they must take the medication and they'll take it. And so they began to distribute the game, give the game out. Kids began to play it. And you know what? They had an immediate spike in kids now taking the medication. But here was something interesting that was uncovered in the data. It didn't matter if the kids spent 20 minutes playing the game or 20 hours playing the game. They still took the medication at the same level. And that confused the doctors. So one of the doctors talked to a friend of his a friend of his who was a marketing expert. He said, here's what happened. What do you think? And the marketing guy said, well, doesn't it make sense? Their identity is wrapped up in the fact that they're a sick teenager. And by playing that game, it didn't matter. All they had to play it was 15 minutes. You change their identity to a healthy teenager. And then the marketing guy said, look, we market BMWs. 
We only have 30 seconds to market the BMW. We can't give people a bunch of information. We can't give them a ton of facts. What we're simply trying to say is you are the kind of person that drives a BMW. Well, you know what God is saying? You know what Jesus Christ has come along and say to us? You are the kind of person that reflects Jesus Christ. That's who you truly are. That's when you're most satisfied. That's when you're your truest self is when you're reflecting Christ because that's where real living happens and you will never be the person that you desire to be or live the life that you want to live until you do it. Now, let's get to cousin it over here because I'm sure you've been wondering, what's behind the sheet? Is it a ghost? No, it's not. It's a special visual aid for today. It is a mirror. Why is it a mirror? Because the Bible says that we have been created in the image of God. We have been created to reflect God. We have been created to be mirrors. Here's the question. Who or what is standing in front of your mirror? If what is in front of your mirror is anything other than Jesus Christ, you will not experience the life that you want to live. And this isn't bad you. This is sad you. This is not bad, oh, shame on you. You don't have Jesus in front of your mirror. No, 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 that's that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what he's presenting to us. It's his sadness for us because what Christ desires as any wonderful loving parent would desire is Christ desires the fullness of life for us. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 10. I've come to give you fullness of life. So it's not bad you, it's sad you because if anyone else or anything else is in front of your mirror, you will not live the life you long to live. So here's the slight adjustment today. Remove everything from your mirror except for Jesus Christ. If it's you standing in front of your mirror, if it's a parent, if it's a coach, if it's a whole crowd of people, we need to move everything else out of the way so that only Jesus Christ, we are only reflecting Christ in front of our mirrors. It is the power of one, the title of today's message, because Jesus Christ is the one person who is to stand in front of our mirrors. We've been created in his image, and when we do, we can really live. The slight adjustment that we need to make in our own lives is to make sure that Jesus and only Jesus is in front of our mirrors. Now, how do we unlearn all that stuff that we've caught along the way? Well, we learn and we unlearn in a really important way. In the Bible, everything is a group experience. Jesus had his group, the disciples. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a group. Everything about learning and unlearning is best done as a group. Look, we know today that if you want to get out of debt or you want to lose weight or you want to have a better life or you want to break an addiction, whatever it is, that it is done far better. The learning and unlearning happens far better and far more effectively when you're in a group of people. What do you need to do to begin to unlearn what the powerful forces have done to try to shape your identity and instead go all the way back and learn about the truest self? Well, you need to begin to drop that seed into the tip jar and watch it grow. And you need to do that in the confines of a group because Jesus Christ was in a group. Jesus lived in a group. And so we get into God's word and we study in a group of people who Christ is and we begin to act on it. We try it out and then we find it out. So it isn't just a 
theory. It's not something that's just abstract. We begin to truly experience that and we watch it grow. But that is always done in a group. Jesus was in a group. We should be in a group. It's not bad you. It's only sad you because we miss out on the incredible life that Christ wants. Listen, you're the kind of person that reflects Christ. That's who you are. I'll give the rest of my life to that one theme is helping people to understand that you have been created in the image of God. And no matter what you're doing or how you're living, who you truly are is the person who has been created by God to reflect Jesus Christ. And that's where true living happens. That's where true loving happens. That's where life is really... Jesus, on the last great day of the feast in John chapter seven, after they'd done eight days of this water ceremony, how God provided, he stands up and he says, is anybody still thirsty? The last day, the last day of the water ceremony. Is anybody still thirsty? If you are, what do you do? He says, come to me. What does that mean? It means reflect me. Now, some of us are really thirsty. We're really thirsty. Life is empty. Here's the answer to that. Begin to reflect Christ. Only put Jesus Christ in front of the mirror. Here's the adjustment that all of us need to make. Now, you can get in a group. I strongly encourage you to get in a group because this is how you learn and unlearn. Get in a group. Trygrace.org slash groups. Get in a group or click the button that's in the chat right now. But this is how we begin to experience what it means to truly reflect Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for this wonderful day. Mother's Day. Thank you, Lord, that we can travel back, back, back in our own stories and get back to that truest part of us that has been created in your image so that we can begin to live that identity out. Lord, help us on this journey to unlearn all the things that we need to unlearn so that we can learn who we are in you. In Christ's name, amen.